Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. We have a busy program. Coming up, we're going to have a complete update on the Farm Bill. The chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Mike Conaway, will be joining us. Give us the very latest on that, his uh, approach to uh, uh, getting the Farm Bill passed in the House, how they're going about getting the votes, and uh, when it'll come up for a vote. We'll go through all that with Chairman Conaway a little bit later in the program. We're also going to get a planting update from the St. Joseph, Missouri area. Gene Millard, who farms in that area, will be joining us. We're going to talk markets with Naomi Bloom, with Stuart Peterson. And uh, first of all, though, we are going to get an update on a trade issue that very much impacts the dairy industry. Uh, uh, There's a trade agreement between the European Union and Mexico that impacts U.S. dairy. And here to bring us up to date on that is former Secretary of Agriculture and now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. Mr. Secretary, thank you for joining us. Hey, Mike. It's good to be with you. All right. How does an EU-Mexico deal impact U.S. dairy? (laughs) Well, unfortunately, it basically will restrict the ability of some of our dairy producers to use and to sell uh, certain cheeses into the the Mexican market, uh, Mike. Uh, the Canadian, or the uh, Mexicans rather, have negotiated with the EU to allow restrictions on the use of terms like Parmesan uh, and other cheese names uh, that will make it more difficult for our cheese producers in the U.S. to be able to market products into Mexico. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a disappointment uh, because we had encouraged the Mexican government to stand firm uh, on this issue of geographic indications, but uh, for whatever reason, uh, they made a decision uh, to provide the EU some protections uh, and a monopoly of the use of some of these cheese names. So we're going to focus on making sure that their implementation is as restrictive as possible uh, and make sure that our uh, our industry understands uh, the rules, uh, the phasing in of some of these uh, restrictions, uh, and we're just going to have to continue to market aggressively in that market. So this has been an ongoing issue between the United States and European Union. Now Mexico is involved. How does this impact the NAFTA negotiations? Well, I think it puts a great uh, burden and pressure on the administration to deliver uh, ap- uh, access into the Canadian market. Um, as you know, this market has been very much closed to dairy producers in the U.S. Uh, the establishment of the Class 7 uh, p- pricing system has created a, a, a real problem in terms of p- the powder market. Uh, so it's going to be important and necessary as, as the negotiations get concluded that there be some provision in that negotiation and that modernization of NAFTA that eliminates Class 7 and opens up the Canadian market uh, to basically offset uh, what's happened not just with the EU and Mexico, but also the EU and Japan. Uh, they also have entered into a free trade agreement that provides certain restrictions in terms of our ability to market cheeses in that market. So incredibly important for the administration to to really uh, meet the expectations that they set at the beginning of these negotiations. This is hard, I think, for a lot of people in this country especially to uh, to grasp. How, how could a country uh, claim that they have control over a name like Parmesan, you know, a name of a cheese which seems to be so common and that would be universal for everyone, but that's really what we're talking about here. That is exactly what we're talking about, and that's why it's important to be aggressive in trade discussions and negotiations. That's why it's important for us to be part of bilateral discussions and multilateral discussions so that we can essentially push back on this effort by the EU. They understand that the the value in dairy uh, in the future is going to be in the value-added products like cheeses. 
And what they're trying to do is create a situation where they have basically a playing field to themselves. We've pushed back very aggressively. There's a consortium of common names that has pushed back very aggressively on this effort, and we've restricted the ability of the EU to be successful in Japan and to a certain extent restricted the ability of the uh, EU to be successful in Mexico. But nevertheless, they were able to get certain concessions that represent a, a significant disappointment uh, uh, to our industry and certainly a disappointment with the Mexican government in terms of their willingness to capitulate on, on this issue. We keep hearing reports that we may be very close to a NAFTA deal. What are you hearing? Because we're not hearing anything about the resolving these dairy issues. Well, that, that's a concern, and that's why I think it's important for 68 members of Congress, uh, the House of Representatives, to indicate to the administration that this is an issue that has to be dealt with before NAFTA can be concluded. Uh, I think they're dealing with some of the global issues now, Mike, uh, to try to resolve the dispute resolution process and whether or not it's going to be reviewed periodically and, 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 and the origin of certain auto parts and things of that nature, which are very big, very, very, very important. Once those things get basically agreed upon, then I think our hope is that they turn to these other issues, these very specific issues, and dairy has to be at the top of that list. And I think there's an understanding and I believe an expectation that that's going to happen, and, and hopefully the administration will live up to the expectation they've set, that they're going to modernize this agreement, they're going to open up this market, they're going to see the elimination of Class 7, and we'll have more opportunity in the Canadian market than we've had uh, in quite some time. Turning back to Mexico, which I believe is our number one market for U.S. dairy, uh, how surprised were you that they would take this approach to the, the cheese name issue, knowing how sensitive it is to U.S. dairy? Well, uh, we have been uh, communicating with the Mexican government and with the Mexican industry about the importance of these issues. And I, I guess, in a sense, it could have been a lot worse in terms of the market access that was granted under this agreement. It's relatively limited. Uh, but we've, we've really pushed very hard on this issue of GIs. Um, the Mexican government had certain products that they wanted protections from as well. And I think that's basically why you, you enter into a negotiation. You get something, you give something. Uh, and third parties who are sort of watching this on the outside are obviously hoping that you are as restrictive as possible in terms of what you have to give up to get whatever it is you want. Uh, and, and the reality is, we, you know, it, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, but at the end of the day, we think that they 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 didn't need to give as much as they gave. Um, and we're just going to have to deal with this. It's a it's part of a condition, and it, and again, it puts an emphasis on the need for our government. Uh, to engage in bilateral conversations, our government to engage in multilateral conversations so that we get the same kind of opportunity to negotiate things that will be helpful to our industry or open up markets that are currently closed, like in Canada. Do you get any indication of what they're negotiating on uh, in the NAFTA talks, especially with Canada on dairy? I mean, do you get any heads up that, hey, this is what we're working on or this is the approach we're trying to take on this? Or get, or do they seek any input or feedback from you? Uh, they haven't been at the uh, – they're not at the point in the negotiations where that occurs, Mike. I, I think we will know uh, when these negotiations are really coming to a head because historically dairy is one of the last things that's that's discussed and negotiated in any trade agreement. Uh, and when they get to that point, there may be the necessity for uh, us to provide some technical information, uh, answer or respond to a question about how this might be structured and, and done. But at the end of the day, what we are hopeful and what we are currently pushing today is making sure that there is, in fact, a negotiation, there is, in fact, a discussion, 
there is, in fact, progress made on this issue. And frankly, it's in the administration's best interest because if it's not dealt with, if agriculture doesn't see some benefit out of this NAFTA renegotiation uh, and has to deal with the consequences of the EU reaching free trade agreements, then there, there may be some difficulty in terms of getting this thing through our congressional process. Trade agreements are by no means assured uh, of passage in, in, in the Congress. So it's going to be, I think, critically important for the administration to understand that to get the votes in Congress, they're going to need to make sure that agriculture in some way, shape, or form benefits from a renegotiated NAFTA. And we're seeing this is another example of how important it is to get these trade deals done because other countries are entering into them and they are impacting us. Mr. Secretary, always good to talk with you. Thank you. All right, Mike. Take care. Bye. Former Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. I'm broadcasting today from the studios of uh, This Week in Agribusiness. I'll be uh, on the TV this weekend hosting with Max Armstrong, one of our guests. Naomi Bloom with Stuart Peterson will join us next here on Adams on Agriculture. We're going to talk markets. Stay with us on AOA. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota with a 10-year warranty and you can wash and dry my pillow and here's my best offer ever get four my pillows for the price of one that's right get four my pillows two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code farm11 get four my pillows for the price of one call 800-871-7280 and use promo code farm11 go to mypillow.com and at checkout use promo code farm11 Fastline.com is changing the equipment buying game. Fastline has just released its newest feature, the Price Comparison Tool. The Price Comparison Tool is the first of its kind in the ag equipment market. It's designed to help quickly compare equipment by price, make, and model. Using the Price Comparison Tool, you can see if an item is below, above, or right at average price for similar equipment. Use this game changer right now at FastLine.com. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 800-352-1402. That's 800-352-1402. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. 
And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Of course, this is the day that the administrator of the EPA, Scott Pruitt, before Congress and heated the questions there, some pointed questions on a number of topics there. Right now, we're going to focus on markets. And joining me now is Naomi Bloom with Stuart Peterson. And Naomi, finally, depends on where you're at, but finally field work is going on. Some places it's been going on several days. Other places just now starting to get going uh, but I think there's a sigh of relief, and certainly I'm sure with the markets, that, hey, we're finally getting this crop in the ground. Yeah, it's behind definitely compared to previous years, no doubt about it. And uh, last Monday's crop progress report showed that the bean crop was 2% planted, corn 5%, definitely behind, 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 no doubt. Um, but good progress in central and southern Illinois this week and in Indiana, so that's encouraging. But uh, still places in Iowa and the Dakotas and Minnesota that were still needing the snow to melt and the soil temperatures to warm up. So um, I think the trade is is expecting that, you know, give it one more week and those planters will just be going full tilt. So markets breathing a sigh of relief, like you said. I mean, farmers look at the calendar and say, hey, we're usually further along than this. But what? What do markets look at as far is there a date they say, well, as long as it's planted by here, we're okay. How do markets look at it? I would think that most people think that by Mother's Day, if we're half to two-thirds planted, we're, we're in good shape. Um, with the expectation then that we'll be closer to 80 or 90 percent by late May and, and the things that need to wrap up get done in, in early June. And that's usually the northern states or the replant in Wisconsin like we always have because it's always snowy forever and ever and ever there. Um, but the market is, is definitely just under the belief that the crop is going to get planted and we don't have to start trading weather issues for our crop until we get closer to summer and pollination. And, and then we'll probably see some market pick up at that time. You're talking about your snow in Wisconsin. I mean, we've seen pictures of uh, uh, with machine sheds, uh, the roof collapsing and things like that. I mean, it's it's been an unbelievable winter and just like so many places, it's just gone on and on. Yeah, and, and uh, I think the biggest thing, you know, last week when I was talking with producers in Minnesota, they, there were some places that the ice hadn't totally come off the lake yet, and that's hard for them because Minnesota has been such a leader lately with agriculture that it's a little humbling, I think, for them to have to remember that, yeah, they're from Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> and we're watching not only our weather, but south american weather at the same time right yeah brazil actually is going to be a market mover for the next week or two and the reason that is um think of it separately so the brazil soybean crop has been pretty much harvested and their first crop corn pretty much harvested and the marketplace traded the fact that the brazil soybean crop was huge again but now they're in their second crop corn and things are not going so fantastic um, it's becoming hot and dry in the key growing areas where they have the second crop corn and it's pollination. So that is going to give the marketplace something to trade on. And so they're not going to be talking about planting delays in the United States. We're going to be focusing instead on what's happening in Brazil. That's the market piece to watch. Because that second crop there has become 
pretty big, right? And that's that's uh, that's a mover for the market. It's a huge mover, especially when this is a year where the market fundamentals for corn have totally shifted since fall. Um, yes, right now there's abundant ending stocks, but if you take a look at what's coming up for new crop, uh, we're not going to globally, this is going to be the first time in quite a few years where we're not going to grow enough corn to meet global demand. Now the world is banking on this ending stocks pile that we have. But now you're in a situation where we're going to start gobbling up that old crop ending stocks, and and we could be in a very different situation as far as ending stocks go for the new crop going forward. So any weather hiccups anywhere in the world, and if China has issues this summer, if we have issues this summer, the market is going to respond because the market dynamics are shifting. Naomi, that almost sounds bullish. Bullish. (laughs) I am. It's not a secret. I am very friendly to the corn market, and it's because... All of the perfect fundamentals have fallen into place from the standpoint of something bad happened in Argentina with their production. Now you have something bad happening in Brazil with their production. Our planting isn't off to the best start ever. Crude oil prices are up. Demand continues to be strong and grow. Our export inspections are actually caught up to USDA projections. And ethanol demand is there. The funds are long corn right now. The dollar overall is lower than it was a year ago. So it is the perfect storm that is getting set up. So things I'm watching going forward, besides weather, really keeping an eye on trade. That's so important. And then uh, crude oil prices. That crude oil market, remember, a third of the value of our corn is tied directly to ethanol. It's directly tied to the energy market. So you have to keep an eye on that marketplace as well. We're talking with Naomi Bloom with uh, Stuart Peterson. You heard it. She's bullish on corn but what about soybeans soybeans quite frankly it is we're at a teeter-totter yet and we're at a real nice point of equilibrium from the standpoint of i think we're very justified to be at the prices that we're at but the marketplace is very well aware that if we have trend line yields ending stocks are going to grow so it would take a weather issue for soybeans in august to make that market go dramatically higher Um, What would be helpful is if we could get our export pace going again. So if we can get some good news out of China this week as we're doing our trade negotiations over there, uh, that would really be supportive to the market. But for soybeans, it's going to just go down to weather in August. Have exports held pretty well through what we there seems like been a ton of negative trade news or at least worries and concerns. How have exports held up through this? We are exporting soybeans. There is no doubt that we have lost business because of the trade issues. And right now, if you compare March of 2018 to March of 2017 for our soybean exports, they're down 27% from year-ago levels. And Brazil picked it up. That all that business went to Brazil. A uh, little bit of a silver lining. This week we sent some soybeans to Argentina. So that really just does play into how poor their crop was that they're importing from us. It also says how competitive we are in a global marketplace that they're willing to buy from the United States versus their next door neighbor. So that's a really telling sign as well. Um, But again, soybeans, I can give you five reasons why it could go higher. I can give five reasons why it can go down. But that really is significant that Argentina would buy from us and not Brazil. Yeah, just it shows you how competitive the price is now on a global scale. And also, I think the Brazil producers are, um, you know, stepping back on some of their sales that they would make as as far as a farmer selling because they're seeing prices go up and I think they're aware of what's going on. So they're maybe not selling as much as they would. So this could be Argentina's way of saying, hey, we're not afraid to go to other places to get business as well. It just shows how we talk about this so much, but this backs it up how important trade is. And boy, you 
when you have a trade dispute with a China, that huge market, I mean, it. that's what we're so concerned about, how negative this could get. Yeah, and so trade is as important to watch as the weather, and trade could still be our black swan in the marketplace to make prices fall apart lower. So fingers crossed everybody gets along this week, and we can start seeing trade negotiations just continue and things be seamless. Um, so we're all watching Washington, D.C. It's a big week. Next week is going to be a big week, and let's just fingers crossed things go good. Now, you mentioned crude oil prices and how it impacts ethanol. When crude oil prices go up, that makes ethanol, you know, it, it, the pricing of ethanol look even better in the marketplace. So hopefully we start driving more. Hopefully we get E15 sales opened up more year-round, those types of things. That would be very bullish. Absolutely. So we that is the one thing this administration has stressed, that they're not going to take away our ethanol, and they haven't. They haven't. So we need to see that ethanol pace continue to stay strong. We need it to grow. It's good that Chinese ethanol demand is growing because they're trying to use that into um, fixing their pollution issues. Uh, so we for a while had been exporting some of our ethanol to China and ethanol is so important to our industry as well. So yeah, if the crude oil price can go higher, ethanol go higher, corn prices will work a little higher. It's all a good thing. Yeah, so that pricing thing in fuel especially gets interesting, but uh, the ethanol price is kind of tied with that crude oil price. It, the absolutely. two work together. Yep, they are. If you If you put the charts on top of each other, they absolutely follow a pattern together. So, yep, and, and I think, too, that crude oil has the ability yet to work a little higher, and I had been saying that over the winter at different speeches. I was looking for crude oil prices to technically be able to go towards $80 a barrel, and we're at 70 you know, so we're, we're on our way there, and, and that's going to be a target price. It's not going to necessarily get there next week, but it still is there. The fundamentals are there because um, OPEC is still working together as far as not producing a lot. The Chinese imports of crude oil are up 6 to 7% from a year ago, so the demand is there, and, and hopefully ethanol can capture some of that opportunity, too. And the recent announcement, Japan Japan is going to open up to U.S. ethanol. Yes, huge. And so we hope that that, that will be a market we can really take get into and, and grow into. There will be others trying to get in there, too. I guess Brazil will probably try to get sugar cane ethanol will try to get in there too so and i think they've they've already maybe been there perhaps so we've got to get in there and earn that market share but at least the door is open okay we have some numbers coming out before long again from us state that we'll be watching yes so may 10th is the next usda report it is the wasd supply and demand report so on that report in terms of old crop we'll take a look at demand and make sure it's all there and we'll get a first view at new crop fundamentals as well Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Naomi Bloom with Stuart Peterson, bullish on corn. Good to hear that. All right, when we come back, the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Mike Conaway, joins us for a Farm Bill update on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. In 1847, Hanson Crockett Gregory invented the donut genius. In 1908, Melita Benz invented the paper coffee filter. Genius. In 1928, Otto Frederick Rowetter invented sliced bread. Genius. In 1930, Ruth Wakefield invented the chocolate chip cookie. Mmm, genius. There's genius, and then there's pure genius. 
At BASF, that's what drove us to develop Ingenia Herbicide, our most advanced dicamba formulation ever for dicamba-tolerant cotton and soybeans. It gives you a low-volatility solution at the lowest dicamba use rate ever offered, providing an additional site of action to outsmart the toughest weeds, even the glyphosate-resistant ones. Grow smart with Ingenia Herbicide from BASF, a flexible solution that's pure genius. Talk to your representative today. Learn more at IngeniaHerbicide.com. BASF, we create chemistry. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA-restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label directions. For Adams on Agriculture, this is the American Ag Network with a mid-morning market check. Commodities in general opened mostly higher early Thursday morning, though the grain and oilseed complex opened mixed. Soybeans continued its rally but has fallen in the last hour. Corn and wheat futures are also down this morning. July corn is down two and a quarter at 393 and a half. July soybeans are down three and three quarters this hour at 1035 and three quarters. On the wheat market, July wheat is down 11 and a quarter at 487 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat for July is down 11 and three quarters at 514 and three quarters. July wheat in Minneapolis is down five and a half at 601. Turning to the livestock markets, Cattle futures are expected to be steady to $2 higher before the day is over. Hogs steady to a dollar higher. Cattle futures supported by follow-through buying and cash optimism. Lean hog contracts, thanks uh, to some short covering and seasonal odds for improving fundamentals, could rally. As we take a look at those cattle prices, June live cattle up 15 at 105.72. The April live cattle contract is up 50 at 122.42. Feeder cattle for May are up 22 at 141.57. June lean hogs are down $1.25 at 74.10. And July lean hogs are down so far at $1.07, 77.35. The outside markets, though, today are up. The Dow has been trading well over 100 points higher this morning. The uh, NASDAQ is over 80 points higher. And the June crude oil contract is up 14 at 68.19. That's a market update. For Adams on Agriculture, this is the American Ag Network. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. We're going to get an update on the Farm Bill with the Chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Mike Conaway, who joins us now. Mr. Chairman, we'll just call this segment Conaway on Agriculture, okay? 
Yes, I can. I said I love that uh, lead-in music. That's uh, it's good stuff. Yeah, I said we'll ju- as you, we'll just let you have this. It'd be kind of way on agriculture this segment, okay? All right, Adams on agriculture. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> All right. Talking okay. Uh, more good code of some sort. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. the Russians are listening. <laughs> so you got the bill out of committee. When is it going to go to the House floor? Well, as soon as I get it there, we'll come back. Of course, everybody's back home working their district next week, and uh, I'm hopeful that uh, the, the popularity of work requirements is so strong, 70% among Democrats, 90% among Republicans, a blend of about 80. I'm hoping my folks have a chance to hear from their people back home on what's actually in the bill. And then we'll get back that first week of May, start the whip process, and uh, in all likelihood be that following week that we'd be there. But I don't think I'd get the whip thing done and to the floor this, that first week we're back, so it'd probably be that second week. Do you anticipate getting any Democratic votes? You couldn't in committee. Do you think you will on the floor? I'm certainly hopeful, Michael. There's no reason not to. Uh, would people actually understand what we've done? We had a good conversation yesterday with ARP, who came out against you right off the bat. They've had second thoughts as they understood what we're actually doing as a, what they were misled. But I'm hopeful that the more questions that get answered, the more opportunities we have to be able to show folks that, hey, that's not in the bill. What we're being accused of is not in the bill. The more of that that goes on, then my Democrat colleagues will say, all right, we, we can, maybe we can work with this. Maybe we can come back to the table. Maybe we can suggest uh, some, some changes or improvements to the program. And so you know, I'm from West Texas, and I don't know if you've ever been out to West Texas, Michael, but we are eternally optimistic. And so uh, that, that's just bred into me, and, and so I'm hopeful to get some Democrats uh, when we go to the floor. Are you ex- expecting many amendments? We've we've heard Ranking, Peter, Ranking Member Peterson say he's he's kind of downplaying amendments, saying he just doesn't think the bill's fixable even with amendments. So what are you expecting on the floor? Um, I'm expecting that the Republicans will actively work to uh, make the bill better. There may be some outliers who want to try to, you know, strip out some things out of the out of the safety net portion of it. But uh, you know, the, uh, we'll have a rule that that allows uh, those folks who will be a yes on final to uh, to suggest changes. If you're going to be a no on final, it sounds like Mr. Peterson's already made his mind up. Then uh, he, you know, you're probably not going to get an amendment through the rules just to make things worse. Uh, put a poison pill amendment in. So I have no idea what to expect from those guys. As I said earlier, I'm expecting them to come back to the table. I'm expecting them to be a part of the solution. I'm hoping they're going to be a part of the solution. Uh, you know, I think Peterson's got uh, recently been bragged on about being the most bipartisan member of the, on the face of the earth. I'm hopefully burnishes those bona fides by coming back to the table and working on the farm bill, which is a way to prove that he's the most bipartisan uh, member on the face of the earth. And so I'm, I'm hoping he comes back to the table. We're talking with the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Mike Conaway from Texas. All right, will you? How how will you how will this play out? Uh, you'll you'll make sure you have the votes before it comes up for a vote. I mean, you're not going to take that chance of it going to the fo- uh, floor and not having enough votes. You'll know ahead of time. Well, that's generally the conventional wisdom. We'll we'll run our traps. Right now, I've had good conversations with uh, both sides of the Republican. You know, both both those ends of the spectrum of Republicans. I've got uh, I've had good conversations with both of them. Uh, I've talked to the Main Street group. Uh, I've talked individually with the Freedom Caucus guys. Many of them. Uh, I've gotten kind of a head nod from those guys that they don't see anything in there right now that causes them to vote against it. So I'm thinking we've got the votes, uh, but we want to make sure. And, uh, you know, leadership is always real cautious about uh, bringing something to the floor that, that we don't pass because that's, a, that's something you really don't want to do, especially H.R. 2. Uh, the speaker allowed us to use that number 
that falls in right behind the tax reform. So I show you how important it is to him uh, and leadership. And so we obviously don't want to bring this to the floor and not pass it. But uh, things are looking good right now, and, and we'll have to say we'll have a all next week for people back home to be able to weigh in with their members, and then when we get back, we'll kind of catch a see where everybody is. Other than the nutrition title, the other aspects of it, whether it be ARC, uh, PLC, or the conservation changes you're proposing, what kind of feedback are you getting on, on those portions of the Farm Bill? Uh, really good. Uh, all of that was negotiated with Peterson and the Democrats on the, on the committee. They gave us a letter of 50 things they wanted in the bill. Some of them overlapped with what we wanted, but we addressed every single one of them. Uh, college fingerprints are all over the non-SNAP title, so that really was the bipartisan work, and we're getting good marks across the board. Um, you know, a few folks out there that uh, uh, would do this different, do that different, people who like the, the CSP program, we, they, uh, you know, they thought we did away with it all together. We pulled some of those uh, conservation pieces out of CSP and put them into EQIP. So, uh, but by and large, uh, uh, really good, uh, good marks for the, uh, for the non-SNAP portion among, among the uh, folks who are the most knowledgeable of the non-SNAP uh, titles. On the SNAP, what are you hearing from uh, organization, feeding organizations and, and those that are working with uh, uh, people that need food and uh, will be concerned about people moving off of the food stamp rolls? What are you hearing from those organizations? Early on, we were hearing the misinformation had an impact because they thought we were hurting seniors, they thought we were hurting children, they thought we were hurting the, 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 the disabled, and we're not. And so as uh, groups, uh, uh, like I mentioned, ARRP, we had a long conversation with them yesterday, and they came out of that meeting scratching their heads. It's why they were so vehemently against the bill when they found out that we don't hurt seniors in, this, uh, in our proposal. And so it's a, it's a growing acceptance of uh, the reality of what's actually in there versus the myth that was uh, was put out, uh, you know, ahead of the markup last week, and so I'm I'm anticipating that that will get better. Uh, certainly, uh, groups like the Foundation for Government Accountability like it. Uh, the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities, as CBPP guys, they're vehemently against it because we go after their cash cow. They are helping, uh, you know, California and Illinois uh, maintain statewide uh, employment waivers. Uh, that are unjustified, so they make a lot of money doing that. So I would expect them to be, you know, full-throated against uh, my changes to the uh, to the way that those uh, communities are gathered up into a uh, into blocks to uh, to try to uh, squeeze a, 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 a unemployment waiver out of the system. So uh, it just depends on you know what their perspective is. Again, uh, we had good conversation with Heritage about it. They certainly like what we're trying to do with SNAP. Uh, you know, they've got their long-standing uh, concerns about the non-SNAP portions, but. Uh, on the SNAP piece, they, uh, they like what we're doing. Now, I know you write your bill separate from the Senate, but on the Senate side, we're hearing that Chairman Roberts and Ranking Member uh, Stabenow are pretty much in agreement on how they're going to move forward. We're waiting to see what that bill is going to look like, but they're certainly not taking the same approach to SNAP as you are. Uh, how do you see, see this moving forward if you get your bill passed, uh, what that's going to mean when you get to conference committee? Well, conference is always a challenge uh, between the, the two houses, and, and they have their perspective. Uh, just like they're waiting on see what I'm going to do, I'll wait to see what they've actually done. Uh, a lot of conversation around the table about what they might or might not do. Uh, Pat's a wily veteran this, uh, uh, this experience, and so I'm going to wait until he actually gets a bill done to see what he does or doesn't do. Um, I'm confident he'll get a bill out, and I'm confident that we'll go to, to, uh, uh, to, to, confidence, uh, to conference on that. I'm also confident that neither bill will survive intact, neither our bill nor their bill. It will be a blend. 
uh, as we normally do, and, and hopefully that blend is better than either individual product that's, uh, that's there. Uh, that's just the normal way we go at it. But my job is to get the very best bill I can get out of the house. I'm partially there. I get it across the house floor early May, and then we can have some more definitive answers to what you're talking about once Pat gets his bill done. And then we'll just quit speculating, and we'll, be, we'll understand those differences between what we've done, what he's done, uh, and we'll be in a better position to have a better and a more fulsome conversation, Michael, about, the, about it at that point in time. Okay, well, let me ask you to speculate one more time. Uh, can you imagine or can you foresee a final bill not having some reform to SNAP? No. All right, so some reform. We'll just wait to see how much and how significant right. the, those changes are. All Michael, right. We've got Maybe. stuff in there that's just good governance. Um, by, uh, the, the broad-based category eligibility allows folks who make sixty to $80,000 a year to be on SNAP. Defend that. We've got folks who are heading, who have SNAP, uh, qualify for SNAP in two different states. We can't catch them now. Defend that. Uh, there are lots of things that we're going to do that, that everybody agrees with. Who disagrees with allowing a SNAP family to uh, accumulate $2,000 of savings that doesn't count against their, um, uh, against their asset test? Who doesn't agree that having a $12,000 car allows them to get to and from work better than a $4,600 car? I mean, there's lots of things that we're doing. I, mean, by, by, I got beat to death last week by people saying, oh, we love work requirements. We love work requirements. Well, okay, that's what we've got. It's 20 hours a week. We didn't increase that. Now, we increased that at the end of the bill to 25 hours a week, but not early on. And so I, what I wish I'd have done last week would have had a big chart of things that we did and make those guys tell me exactly which ones of those they disagreed with. They just categorically tossed the whole thing, and they're hiding uh, from having to answer those hard questions. And I wish, you know, in hindsight, it's always 2020, but it would have been fun last week to actually took a straw poll. All right, who's against uh, the $2,000 savings account? Colin, you against that? I mean, all those kind of things. So, yes, we're going to have some changes to SNAP. Now, it may not go as full as where we're going to, but I'm going to get this bill across the, uh, the House floor because it is just good policy. We didn't come at this in order to try to cut spending. We didn't come at it wrong-headed. We came at it the right way with the right heart. We're trying to help people get off these programs, get back, get their lives back under their own control. And who's against that? Well, I guess Colin. So you tell me whether or not we'll have the, the opportunity to, to reform SNAP and whether it's the righteous thing to do. Mr. Chairman, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for joining us on on Adams on Agriculture, or should we say Conaway on Agriculture, combination of the two. Really enjoyed it. We'll talk again after uh, that vote in the House, okay? Well, Michael, thank you, buddy. I got a little fired up there, but I, I, you can't, I don't know if you can tell, but I get a little juiced about this deal because it's just the right thing to do. We're going to work it really hard. And so speaking to you here from your nation's capital, Conaway on Congress, I appreciate your airtime. I appreciate your passion. Thank you very much. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Take care, sir. Thank you. Chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Mike Conaway. All right. His thoughts on the Farm Bill. We'll see how it all plays out. Planting underway. We're going to get a planting update from St. Joseph, Missouri, next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Thermospa's hot tub, they require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospa's unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. 
Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable Bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information, and then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing. Manufacturing my home state of Minnesota, I have a 10-year warranty, and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever: get four my pillows for the price of one. That's right, get four my pillows, two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four my pillows for the price of one. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to mypillow.com and at checkout use promo code FARM11. Fastline.com is changing the equipment buying game. Fastline has just released its newest feature, the price comparison tool. The price comparison tool is the first of its kind in the ag equipment market. It's designed to help quickly compare equipment by price, make, and model. 
Using the price comparison tool, you can see if an item is below, above, or right at average price for similar equipment. Use this game changer right now at FastLine.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. We're proud of our new affiliates. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. And our thanks to the chairman of the House Ag Committee, Mike Conaway, for being with us. You could tell he's fired up, very passionate about this farm bill and getting it passed. And again, they'll be off next week. So members of the House will be back home and they'll get to hear from uh, voters and what they think of it. And then hopefully when they get back after that, uh, early May, that first full week when they're back uh, after that, it may indeed come up for vote if he feels he has the votes for it. So uh, we shall see. All right. Well, some parts of the country planting in full swing, other parts just getting started, other places still waiting for things to thaw out. Let's find out how things are going in the uh, St. Joseph, Missouri area. Our good friend Gene Miller joins us. Gene, are you in the fields? Well, Mike, we were in the field until we were blessed with a whole uh, third of an inch of rain yesterday. Mm. Wow, we haven't seen that forever. Everybody thought it was at least a you know a drought breaker. At, well, the first day it's 80 degrees wind blowing, it'll all go away. But it has warmed up a little bit. We have sunshine today. But I'll tell you, Mike, this has been the coldest April I can remember. Uh, you know, not the I haven't remembered a, a snow in April, but we had it snow in April 1st on the Sunday, and then the next Sunday, April 8th, another snow, and on April the 15th, another inch and a half, two inches of snow. And, of course, then the Sunday's up, warms up, and thaws out, but the soil temperature just stayed cold. And I know that our you know, friend down the boot heel, you know, is talking about uh, the situation there being wet and cold. Well, we've been dry and cold here because that little dab of snow had virtually no moisture in it. Our ponds are dry, and uh, it's, it's just really a stressful situation for the guys that are in the cattle business particularly. So how much do you have in the ground there in your area? Uh, well, we've got most of our corn in uh, this week. We've got a you know, day or so left to go to finish corn. Uh, I talked to a couple of friends yesterday that said they had anywhere from, oh, a half to two-thirds uh, of the corn in. But, you know, there's still guys that were running anhydrous earlier this week when it finally warmed up a little bit. So it's going to be a strung-out situation. We're, we're just dealing with salt. Soil temperatures uh, finally uh, warmed up a little bit. Yesterday, I checked this morning, 61 for a high and 49 for a low on soil temperature in a 24-hour period. We just we had 40 degrees this morning for an overnight low. Uh, it's just uh, staying pretty cool. And what's your forecast? Uh, forecast is for two or three days here of sunshine, which we'll probably get back. Didn't have enough rain. I don't think stop us for another day and may get the corn pretty well finished up. And then we're, we're in chance for some, maybe some thunder showers next week, 30 40% chance, but we've seen those 30 and 40s go away by the time it gets here. So we'll believe it when we see it. 
very few beans planted that I'm aware of. Uh, we've got our seed tender going to get filled today, uh, so we'll be ready to go on, on some ground that is clean. Very little uh, spraying has been done because there's nothing grown. I was talking to one of our chemical applicators earlier this week, said, well, normally we're in the itch to get all the burn down done uh, for, you know, no telling soybeans in, but, you know, the hen bed isn't over an inch and a half tall <laughs> because it's been too cold to grow. So well, there's one positive out of it. There's That's a positive, positive out of it. Yeah. It, but I see a lot of purple stuff showing up. We uh, did a lot of fall spraying last fall because hen bed winter, winter annuals have become such a problem, and uh, you can really tell it this year. It is clean. There's nothing growing. Uh, the spring weeds haven't sprouted yet. The oak leaves are not quite as big as the squirrels are yet, so I don't think we're too late to get corn planted yet. So interesting uh, on the beans, because I'd heard some farmers in some places actually went to beans earlier than they, than they would normally when they would just be in corn planting because they just wanted to get beans in. Uh, but you didn't see that in your area. Everyone's kind of holding off, get the corn done, then go to the beans. I think that's pretty much the standard practice here. There's a few that are equipped to do, uh, you know, air drills on beans and, and planters on corn and can run both at the same time when the soil conditions are right. But we certainly have dry soil conditions, uh, a lot of dust in the air behind the planters. Uh, that we're running, so uh, we just need a good soaking rain uh, before anything gets off and growing. It's been the slowest start to growing season I can recall. I was going to ask you, when you look back over the years, and I'm sure you keep track of all these things, uh, how does this year compare with some of those past late plantings that you've had? Well, historically, uh, you know, we get a hot dry spell in July, and we like to get the corn in by the 20th of April, uh, to kind of get you know up there where it's pollinating by the first of July or right afterwards by the fourth of July, and it just uh, it when you get delayed into mid May, then you run into the heat stress usually in summertime, same as it is down in the Carolinas and the Southern Country that uh, just like get it planted early, but the hybrids today have so much uh, vigor to them that uh, it kind of compensates for a lot of that. So. Uh, we're optimistic to get it, get it going, but we're going to have to have rain because we have no subsoil moisture. It's going to take uh, regular rains. We only had uh, two rains last year that made our crop, and uh, we haven't had an inch of rain since back in October. So you're going to be living on that edge uh, as you go through well, this growing edge. season. You're, clo- think- you're close, too. You're just not in that garden spot that Ken McCauley is there in northeast no, Kansas. I, I right? watch Ken They caught a rain there earlier this week after he got most of his corn in, and so they're <laughs> they're going to be in great shape. And and uh, it does make a difference, uh, you know. They south south of us, 50 miles. They got heavy rains the other day, uh, wet conditions, soggy, or just northeast of Kansas City. Uh, so it's wet down through that area. But uh, here in the northern part of the state, and I think goes up into southwest Iowa and north south central Iowa is dry. So. Uh, it's not all snow cover like it is up Minnesota and northern Iowa, but it's it's still cold. They keep sending that cold air down here. Planning getting underway, underway, but still a lot of challenges out there. Gene, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. Have a good day. All right. Keep me posted. Thank you. 
Gene Millard farms in the St. Joseph, Missouri area with a planting update. Well, with that, we're going to wrap things up. Thanks to all of our guests. Thank you for joining us again. Administrator of the EPA, Scott Pruitt, uh, going through some uh, uh, questioning before Congress today. We'll have a complete report and uh, review of that coming up on tomorrow's show, plus more on Waters of the U.S. Uh, we got an update on that this week from Administrator Pruitt. We'll get some reaction to that and much more coming up tomorrow. Thanks for being with us today on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day, everyone.